Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show here on the I Love Seville Network, an opportunity to spotlight the Virginia Athletic Department. For Wahoo fans across the country and the globe, the star of this show is a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, who has covered Virginia sports for 40-plus years. We encourage you, the viewer and listener, to shape the discussion of the program by asking questions on social media, wherever you're watching the show upon, by challenging us, by sharing your perspective as a Wahoo fan. We will relay those thoughts literally live on air. We give Judah Wickhauer, the director and producer, some props. And Judah, on that note, if we can go to the studio camera and welcome the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe to the program. My friend, good Tuesday morning to you. Same to you, my friend. It's always good to see you. Our weekly uh, meeting here, it's always fun. It's great to have you. Um, it's great to chat with you as well. Johnny Ornalis, thank you for watching the program. Why don't we get straight to it? North Carolina is at least, what, six games into the season looking like the real deal. They're 6-0 and overall. They're 3-0 and in conference play. Number 10 in the nation. Um, a 23-and-a-half point favorite against Virginia. The over-under at 56. It's a 6.30 kickoff in Chapel Hill on Saturday night. The TV station, the CW Network. An open-ended question, where would you like to begin? Well, I, I, think, uh, I think Carolina's legit. You know, for the past several years, people have gone maybe a little overboard, given them uh, too, much, too many props, and they weren't quite there because they, they would have a problem on the offensive line or the defense, mostly defense. Uh, it seems like they've always had a good quarterback. But... Um, I think this Carolina team is a little different. They've, they've got uh, – I, I don't see any true weaknesses in this football team. And the, the addition of Tez Walker um, has made them – it may take that offense to another level. And it was already good before. It's complete. They can run it. They can throw it. They have the right guy at quarterback. But the big difference, I think, in this team is the defense and – they really haven't been good on that side of the ball since Mac Brown came back uh, several years ago. And now Gene Chiswick seems like he has has recruited enough talent on that side of the football to where they're probably still giving up a little bit more points than they would prefer. And uh, it was hard to put Miami away the other night, but uh, that was a pretty fierce pass rush. They they beat up uh, Miami's quarterback the entire game, and I'm sure he spent a lot of time in the ice tub when he got back to to Miami. But uh, that that's uh, a point that Virginia's going to have to pay uh, a lot of attention to this week is trying to protect the quarterback because um, they're already one of the worst teams in the country in doing that. They're giving up about four sacks a game. And with that kind of a pass rush, it's going to be uh, vital that they try to keep Tony Musket clean. Tony Musket um, is certainly going to face a lot of pressure from this North Carolina um, defensive attack. I'd love to highlight the offense with you. You've already touched on this. Drake May had four touchdowns against Miami. UNC scored 21 points, 21 unanswered points in the third quarter against the Hurricanes. They beat Miami 41-31, to and Tez Walker, uh, 
I mean, where do you begin with this guy? I'm going to give you some stats on Walker. This is against Miami. Miami's got some pros on defense, too. Yes. Uh, Walker's got six catches for a buck 32 in the air and three touchdowns. Walker also had two carries and 19 yards in the running game. They got him returning kicks as well. I mean, where do you begin with Walker, who clearly looks like he is an NFL wide receiver? He's got size. He's got speed. He's got great hands. Maybe even playing with a little chip on his shoulder with how the NCAA scarlet lettered him for half the season. Your thoughts? I still can't figure out what the NCAA was thinking on him, and I think Carolina was right in their comments. I think they were justified in, in why the NCAA, who's supposed to be looking out for the welfare of student-athletes, uh, were, were detrimental to, to this kid's season. I mean, he's missed almost half the season now. Uh, and you, you pointed out those numbers, Jerry. That was his first start of the year. Right. He doesn't even really know the playbook. <laughs> no. I mean, he, he was thrown into action a little bit last week. And uh, like you said, he he really had barely probably practiced because I think he wasn't so sure he was going to get to play this year. So he was letting other guys who were playing get the reps. So it was like he was just thrown into the fire. And, and look at the way he responded. I, I have a good stat on him, too. He... Uh, it relates back to Drake May, their Heisman Trophy candidate, and he is a legitimate Heisman candidate. Um, without Walker, Drake May is 96 of 132 for 1,187 yards, five touchdowns, nine interceptions. With Walker, in less than two games, right? right. He's 50 of 80. 715 yards, which is uh, more than half of what he was with in the f- other four games. Uh, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. This guy makes a, a big difference being a target. And uh, it takes pressure off the rest of the offense, too, if you've got a guy like that out there because I, I don't know how you single cover him. I don't think you can. And uh, to me, he, he could be the next Deb, uh, Debo Samuel. Like you said, he can run it and he can line up anywhere on the field and hurt you. So uh, they just became much even a good football team became even better with him in the mix. Let's talk about Virginia's defense here. Roger Voisinet, welcome to the show. Thank you for sharing. Johnny Ornalis, who's opening a a restaurant on West Main Street in Mexicali in the old World of Beer location. Johnny, thank you for sharing the show. Well, welcome to the program um, folks in South Carolina right now and some folks out, out uh, in Morristown, New Jersey on the show. If you're Virginia's defense, I mean, first of all, let's, let's cut to the chase here. UVA is a 23.5-point underdog here. UNC's got hopes of contending or winning an ACC championship. Mm-hmm. As of this point of the season, it looks like it's UNC and Florida State's race for an ACC championship. We understand that UNC is a heavy point favorite. My question is, how do you keep it close? And I think you got to start on the defensive side of the ball. With the defensive side of the ball, how do you stop this offense? Do you stop the run game? Do you stop May? Do you shade a, a, a safety over to Walker's side? If you shade or, or push a safety over to Walker's side, does that mean a, a wide receiving options two and three, which are damn good, can go off? I mean, how do you line up against this offensive attack? That's going to be a major 
thorn for John Rudzinski and his defense this week is preparing for these guys because Carolina has a really good running game. I, I think people overlook that because of Drake May's passing ability, but they've got some really good backs and uh, a pretty decent offensive line as well. And uh, They ha- haven't always had that at the same time, but they do this year. And I think they've got to try to stop the run and I don't know if you want to make Carolina one-dimensional or not because they're good at, at, at that dimension. But if they can run the football on you, they can do anything they want. And I'm sure it's Carolina's aim to control the line of scrimmage, run the football, uh, use their play action, and get all those good receivers, including Walker, involved in the attack. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you can stop that Carolina running game. There's, Virginia's had trouble in the past stopping Carolina's run offense. We've seen Carolina rack up big numbers. And so I'm sure Mac Brown, is, even though he has all that talent in the passing game, he's going to try to establish the run early, I think, and, and try to control the game on the ground and then uh, – Balance it out with with a, a lethal passing attack, and and Drake May can run the football too. So uh, you can't forget that aspect of it. He's he's pretty good at picking up first downs when he needs them. Do you think? Um, I got a two part question for you. Talk about the run game. Omari and Hampton is is UNC's top tailback. This guy is a sophomore from Clayton, North Carolina. He's got 112 carries, 658 rushing yards, eight touchdowns on the season. And how about this statistic right here? This guy is averaging 5.9 yards per carry. 5.9 yards per carry for a six foot, 220 pound tailback. Six foot, 220 pounds is big in the pros. Six foot, 220 pounds is huge in college. Absolutely. I mean, this is a battering ram right here. Here's a two part question for you. If you stop the run game, May may have potentially a field day in one-on-one coverage with UVA secondary. Um, and UVA secondary has been exposed this season. Yes. Do we see um, any other potential opportunity to stop this offense? Maybe it's on the offensive side of the ball where Virginia maybe can establish the run or start eroding some clock to control time of possession Running the football has not been Virginia's cup of tea so far this season. Well, possibly. I mean, I know they had a lot of running yards against William & Mary, but that's against William & Mary, even though William & Mary has a really good FCS defense. I'm not sure it compares to North Carolina's. Uh, They've just accumulated so much talent on that side of the football through recruiting the last two or three years. They've, they've got some spectacular people on that side of the football. And, you know, if they can shut your running game down and make Musket throw it, then it, it's going to be a long day for Virginia because they're going to pin their ears back and come after him. And like I said, they, they beat up uh, Van Dyke all game long. I don't know how he finished the game the other day, but uh, he took so many hits. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I I don't know if they can run the ball against Carolina or not. Uh, certainly they made some strides against William & Mary. And they have some decent backs. Uh, Paris Jones, uh, Kobe Pace, um, 
Mike Hollins, uh, and I think Xavier Brown is healthy again. But it's a matter of whether that offensive line can open holes for these guys or not. And it won't be easy against that defense for sure. But I think they're going to have to try to have a little bit of balance to try to keep the pass rush from controlling what they do. John Massey watching the program in Norfolk, Virginia. He says, can Hootie share or shed some light on Musket and his health? How healthy is the starting quarterback? Well, he's playing with pain. Um, it's not debilitating pain to where he can't play, but uh, it, it impacts him, I think, all the time. Uh, I don't know that he'll completely get over that shoulder injury as the se- you know this time any time this season uh, I think it's here to stay until he can rest it and get treatment and I know he's getting treatment and resting it all he can but still um, the pain's there it's not going to go away he practices with pain he plays with pain but it, it hasn't really slowed him down he uh, we saw against William and Mary that you know he stretched and stretched out for that first down and re-injured himself for one play but came back in and threw a touchdown pass so he's a gritty kid he's a tough competitor uh he won't make any excuses but he is playing with pain and and that that's it that's here to stay lindsey lou who watching the program she's watching in newport news and she has this question for jerry hoodie Ratcliffe. If the game is a blowout, does Calandria come in and play? Are they still mindful of not burning his redshirt year? They don't want to burn his redshirt year if they don't have to. I think the only reason he would play now under the plan that they announced after the Women Mary game is if Musket gets hurt and can't go for more than a series. If he's out for an extended uh, amount of time, even in one game, then they really don't have any choice but to put Calandria back in because I don't think they have anybody else that can handle the situation right now. Brosterhouse hasn't played enough. But I think that's the only circumstance uh, Calandria gets back into a game this season is if Musket simply can't go, can't operate, can't function. They really don't have any other choice. Otherwise, they want to redshirt him and take their chances that he'll stay here for another Four years. Uh, this is a very good question, um, and I appreciate this one from Spencer. Can uh, Ratcliffe compare and contrast Walker, the UNC wide receiver, who clearly, as Jerry said, is going to play on Sundays, to two talented wideouts that UVA has in Washington and Fields? Uh, well, he's a little different. I think uh, I think he's a little higher level athlete. Definitely. Um, and like I said, he can line up anywhere. I mean, Washington is mostly a slot guy. Uh, um, Malachi is a stand-up wide receiver. Can run the deep route. Can run the fade route. Um, can go deep. Um, I'm not sure those guys could change places and and be as successful as they are in their current roles. But Walker can. Walker can. He yeah. can. You can line him up anywhere on the field. He's a, a superb athlete. Um, and like you said, he can, he can run the football. He can, he's returning kicks, for goodness sake. Um, 
he's he's a game changer. Uh, there's no question about it. And, and that's not to say that Washington and, and Fields aren't. I think he's just a, a little higher athlete level athlete than than Washington or Fields. But uh, I would like I wouldn't mind having Fields and Washington on my team. That's for sure. Well said. Well said. Do you think May plays on Sundays as well? Is he going to continue the trend of uh, UNC quarterbacks playing in the National Football League? Yes. Um, I mean, he's in the Heisman, a serious Heisman candidate. He's in the race for a reason because he's that good. The NFL scouts are frothing at the mouth. He'll he'll get drafted early, I believe. And um, some people think he's the best quarterback. In the draft, some people don't, but uh, it's a matter of what team uh, believes that he fits their system the best. And I I think he's going to be playing in the NFL for a long time. I I think he's better than Sam Howell. I was going to ask you about that. I'm a Commanders fan. It's still weird for me to call him the Commanders. Sam Howell is so (laughs) weird for me to call him the Commanders. Um, Sam Howell has uh, shown some flashes of brilliance. And... You know, fingers crossed as a Commanders fan, and I, you know, I think a lot of Commanders fans out there feel this way. They may have found potentially a quarterback of the future where you can build around and Sam Howell. You think May's got more upside than Howell, and if so, why? I do. I, I just think he's more consistent, um, better ath- overall athlete. Um, he can throw every – he has every throw in the book, not to say that Howell doesn't. But I think he's just a little higher caliber quarterback uh, who won't, who will probably start faster in the NFL than than Howell did in terms of being successful. And I, I just think he's uh, uh, one level up from what Sam Howell is overall. Um, we welcome uh, Annie Williamson watching the program right now. Annie, thank you for watching the show. Viewers and listeners, if you have questions, put them in the feed. I will relay them live on air on the Jerry and Jerry show, and the questions are coming in. I have a couple in my notebook that I want to get to before I talk recruiting. The, the talk on the message boards, the talk on social media has been Virginia losing a third recruit in the class of 2024. And it's unfortunate because the recruit they just lost decommitted from UVA and headed to Vanderbilt. Friend of mine, James Watson, who's a diehard UVA fan, I saw him coming down 4th Street this morning. And that was what we talked about, this lost recruit for Virginia football. Um, we will get to recruiting, I promise you here. Let's go keys to the game first with UNC and UVA, 6.30 kick Saturday. The over-under 56 points, and UNC currently a 23.5-point favorite, depending on where you shop. Yeah, well, Chapel Hill hasn't always been the toughest place to play, although it's been tough for Virginia. But uh, it, it is this year has become a very difficult place to play. The crowds are back. They're back into the game. Uh, it's a big-time atmosphere. Uh, they don't sit on their hands like they have in, in previous seasons. This this is an active, intimidating crowd. It's an intimidating place to play. And I think the only thing that gets in Carolina's way is themselves. And Mac Brown told an interesting story yesterday about when he was at Texas, the head coach at Texas, and they were undefeated late in the season. And he got a call from uh, his old coach and said, man, you're in trouble. They were playing, getting ready to play Texas A&M, and, and Max said, what are you talking about? We're thinking about playing for the national championship. And 
uh, we're undefeated, we're rolling, we just beat the tar out of somebody, and he says, I'm telling you, you're in trouble because you're thinking about all those other things instead of thinking about Texas A&M. He said, it's, it's rat poison, big rat poison, and if you're not careful, it's going to kill you. So when Mac, uh, Mac got off of that call, he, he was terrified because he said, you know, he, he's right. And so uh, as a point of emphasis to his team, he cut out, or I don't think he did, but he had managers cut out little blocks of cheese and put them on strings and hung them on every locker in the Texas locker room and explained to them the importance of thinking about this game and not down the road. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did the same thing this week down in Chapel Hill to send a message to his team because there's been times in the past where superior Carolina teams have played Virginia and gotten beaten. Uh, and the, I think the last time Carolina was undefeated at this stage in the season is in 96 or 97 when they came up here to Scott Stadium and Virginia upset them. They, they were headed... They were going to go to the Fiesta Bowl and get a $6 million payout. And uh, Virginia upset them. They ran a kickoff back to start the second half. Um, Mack got greedy. Instead of kicking a field goal, he went for a a touchdown. And Rick Lance, rest his soul, uh, knew exactly what was going to happen and grabbed uh, the I think the freshman defensive back, I'm trying to remember the kid's name. It escapes me at the moment. I think it was Harris. And told him, he said, son, he showed him on a diagram. He said, they're going to throw the ball right here at this spot in the end zone, right here. Can you promise me that you'll be in that spot? And the kid said, yes, sir, I will. And sure enough, they threw the ball to that spot the kid was in the right place, uh, intercepted it, and took it back for a touchdown. Virginia, it was a huge upset. I don't think Mac Brown's ever forgotten about that. And it goes right into the rat poison theme that Nick Saban likes to use so much. But uh, he, I, I know he's talking to his team all week about rat poison and not believing that because you're 6-0, and the people are just going to roll over and let, and let you win. So... I think if anything gets in their own way, it's going to be themselves. But I, I think, uh, you know, Virginia's – this might be the most talented team they've played. They, oh. These guys may be better than Tennessee. I think they I, might I, be better than Tennessee. I didn't think they were to start the season, but they've developed. And uh, Tennessee's offense has struggled. Carolina's has flourished and it seems to get better week after week after week. Uh, Tennessee might have a little bit stronger defense, but Virginia just can't let this game get out of hand early because if it is, it's going to be a long night and, and uh, they could get pounded if they're not careful because it's, it's going to be walk, like walking into the Lions' den down there. Uh, it's still a rivalry, the South's oldest rivalry. We just got that and question they take, coming. And they take it seriously. Uh, you see right there why Jerry Ratcliffe is an award-winning writer. I mean, that right there is like reading one of his columns, what I just heard from him. That's why he's an award-winning writer. South's oldest rivalry just got put in the feed from Stanton's finest, John Blair. And he says, Jerry and Jerry, do you feel the Atlantic Coast Conference and both schools do not do a great job of marketing this game well? 
It is the oldest football rivalry in the South, but this game just does not receive the attention that other, other rivalries receive. Why is that? That's a very good point, and, and I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Maybe it's because the TV people don't get as excited about it as they do Auburn, Alabama, uh, and some of the other great rivalries around the country. You know, maybe it's because they're not in the same state. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, when I wrote the history of Virginia football for the book back in '09 or whenever it was, uh, just going through the history books, doing the research, this Carolina-Virginia game used to be massive. It was a national game. They would play on Thanksgiving. They would draw sellout crowds. Um, national radio, TV really at that point hadn't popped in. Um, they would play at, uh, at neutral sites sometimes and sell it out. It was just a massive rivalry. Two of the best teams in the country going after each other. I, I, I don't know why that has regressed over the years because it, it is a great rivalry and it's not completely lopsided even though Carolina's been worlds better than Virginia as oh, a whole. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just that they, I don't know if it's the schools that don't hype it as much or the TV people just don't buy into it. Um, maybe it's because Carolina is sometimes ranked or unranked and Virginia is probably not ranked at all doesn't get a lot of focus on the game but uh it is a great ride it's one of the greatest rivalries in the country and it's it is underplayed there's no question about it craig fuller watching the program um, and he's in maryland he says i'm a 1976 uva graduate and i want to beat unc first on the schedule tech second but always unc first yeah and, and you talk to anybody that not from this present era uh you know, when Virginia Tech came into the conference, that stole some of the glory, I think, from the Carolina-Virginia rivalry. But if you ask the old grads, uh, it's Carolina. That, that's their number one rival in football and basketball and, and has been throughout the years. And there was reason for it. I mean, uh, it was a fierce rivalry. And... Uh, Still was, I think, up until maybe around 2000 or something because there were some – if you talk to George Welsh and Al Groh and some of those coaches from that those eras, I mean, they poured everything into that game. They felt like that was the game they had to win because Carolina – if Carolina became dominant, they could steal a lot of great recruits out of the state of Virginia, and they made a point of trying to do so. Uh, Bill Dooley made a living – off of that one, he was at Carolina, and um, so that that's that's another aspect of it too, the the recruiting aspect. This game, guys, kicks off Saturday at six thirty p.m. Again, the over under fifty six points. Carolina, a twenty three point five point favorite as of uh, Tuesday morning. And to emphasize what Hootie is saying, guys, um, the game airs on the CW network. I mean, this is regional television. Uh, right here for this contest. The the recruiting questions are all over the feed right now. Um, I see Kelsey offering this question. Uh, I see Grayson in North Downtown asking this question. We're seeing it all over social media with the UVA groups. A third recruit for the class of 2024 has now decommitted. 
this one, the top rank recruit, a defensive back from Georgia. Um, he leaves Virginia football and heads to Vanderbilt. Um, head scratcher for me, uh, but still his prerogative will start open-ended. Three recruits already for the class of 2024 have decommitted, and Coach Elliott's recruiting class was already ranked last in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Right. And uh, I think that now leaves them with 14 commitments for the year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I would suspect that it comes down to Virginia's performance so far this year, that people, some of these kids are bailing because they don't want to be part of a rebuilding program or a losing program. And that that's a lot of times what it boils down to. And it could be, you know, I, I don't know when the kid visited, but it could be that he was here for one of the games and uh, even the, cr the crowds have been decent this year. They haven't been outstanding. Um, I don't know if that may have had some influence on him or not. I, I know that does impact some recruits when they come to a stadium and they see that it's, you know, nowhere near capacity. But uh, I, I suspect that it's probably Virginia's uh, start, one and five start. And, I think that's 100% and, and, and things look bleak for the second half of the season because the schedule only gets tougher. Um, it's tough. You know, it's, it's not good losing commitments like this, particularly when it's one of your better commitments, uh, and particularly from the state of Georgia where they've, they've done a pretty good job in recruiting some of the uh, athletes out of that state, which is football rich in talent. So that, that's a, definitely a blow to the recruiting campaign. And like you said, they're, they're already ranked at the bottom or near the bottom in ACC in terms of recruiting. Uh, I don't know. I, I, that's the only thing I can think of is that it's, it's particularly tough losing a kid to Vanderbilt because their program is not that great either. And their academic standards are just as tough as UVA's. Probably so. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, they don't have great crowds either in, in that stadium. So uh, the fact that he went to Vanderbilt and not somewhere else in the SEC or ACC is somewhat puzzling. But um, it's, it's tough losing a recruit, but when you lose them to Vanderbilt, that's even tougher. Um, I'll, I'll throw this to you. This is from me personally. Then we'll get to the viewers and listeners here. And, and, and to put Vanderbilt in perspective, guys, um, Vanderbilt is 2-6 and six on the season. And they're 0-4, and 0-4 oh in the Southeastern Conference right now. And, and, and the performance um, is not great for the Commodores. And that's putting it lightly. Does Tony Elliott... Does he have to prioritize this transfer portal right now? Because clearly he's in rebuild mode. The recruiting class is going to take – the 2024 recruiting class right now is not looking super great. Maybe he makes a, la, uh, you know, a late push and adds depth. But a lot of these guys have already committed uh, to mm. programs here. Is he going to have to shift the model completely and prioritize a transfer portal – that brought uh, a wide receiver to him in a Malik Washington, for example, that is arguably Virginia's best player on the football field right now. True. And he probably is the best player on the field right now on either side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think that's the only answer for Virginia right now because it, 
I, I don't know what shape they're in with some of the guys that they're still pursuing in high school, but the only way to have an immediate impact on this program is through the transfer portal because even if they do finish it up with a better recruiting campaign. It takes too long. Yeah, those kids, they have to develop. They're, they're high, you know, you're not going to find a Cam Robinson every time you walk out and, and, uh, and, and, and try to bring in some recruits. But the, the transfer portal is the easiest route to rebuild your football team, restock it. But then again, as we've mentioned on previous shows, Jerry, uh, a lot of the players, they're limited on some of these players that can't get them into school because their transfers don't credit, their credits uh, don't transfer into UVA's tougher academic setting. And, and that's a problem. And and they don't have the NIL opportunity to leverage, at least not exactly. now. Exactly. Uh, at least not to the point that, that a lot of schools do that they're competing against. I mean, they have some NIL, but it's not anything that's going to turn too many recruits' heads. Uh, I don't know if that's going to change or not in the future. But And the transfer window is going to become smaller uh, due to some NCAA legislation. But... Um, I, that's, I think that's the only answer I see in, in terms of helping get this program turned around is to bring in more transfer guys. And, again, you, you're dealing with the academic side of that as well because a lot of guys, they're, they're, some of their credits tra- uh, just aren't going to transfer into UVA, but they won't accept them. And that makes it uh, twice as hard when you're recruiting against everybody else for the same kid. And, you know, if, if, an, if a kid sees that his trans, his credits aren't going to transfer, uh, even a, a couple of them, um, and he sees NIL opportunities somewhere and nothing much here, uh, it's almost a no-brainer for those kids to go somewhere else. Uh, Megan Clark watching in Cincinnati, she goes, I get what he's saying um, about recruiting and the standards, but please explain to me how Tony Bennett's doing this in basketball. I appreciate Megan's comment here, but I don't think comparing basketball recruiting and football recruiting are, are comparing apples to apples here. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a 15-man roster as opposed to a 100-man roster, and it's a world of difference. In basketball, you can get, uh, well, they had four transfers this year, and um you know, in football, four transfers is nothing. Uh, particularly if you're rebuilding a football team, you may look what Deion Sanders had to do at Colorado. He brought in 80, I think, players from elsewhere, and that's never going to happen here, not even close. But uh, it, it's a whole lot easier to rebuild a basketball team. All you need is three or four really good guys as opposed to football where you need at least 35 really good guys to have not only good starters on both sides of the football, but depth. And depth is a huge thing in college football. If you don't have it and you have a rash of injuries or something or some you miss on a couple of recruits and are not that good, you've got to have playable depth behind them to take up the slack. And it's So it's a monumental task to try to 
build that kind of depth on a football team, and that's what it takes to win these days. If, if you don't have depth, uh, a couple of key entries can be crippling to your entire football program. What's the saying you like to use? We like to be Harvard uh, Monday through Friday, and then Alabama on Saturdays? Yeah, and you know I've had a lot of people ask me about that in the past couple of weeks too, and they they you know and I'm sure it's a split decision. I'm sure some alumni or don't want clear cut for me. I'd say loosen the academic standards for the football program and let's get some wins here. Yeah, or you know why can't you create a that's the one a program and you don't have to really sacrifice your academic standards here why why can't you different major create yeah why can't you create a sports management program like ohio university where 90 percent of the people in america who are in professional and college sports now went there to get their degree in sports management um how does that that i don't see how that cheapens your education that's it's taking guys who are interested in making sports a lifetime career and giving them the expertise to do so and you can raise uh, a lot of money off of some of these guys who go on and make it big and in pro sports not on the field but in the front offices and elsewhere uh why can't you do that i don't see how that cheapens a uva diploma in any any way shape or form and um, I know some some other uh, highly respected a- uh, academic programs in the country have done so, and uh, but they, again, it goes back and and, the, and that quote came from a coach. Uh, I was doing the again doing the research on the book. I think back in the fifties or sixties, I think it was the fifties. They were trying to attract the Michigan coach to come here and we're offering him good money. But I think it was his quote that said, well, I asked him why he turned it down. He says, because they want us to be Harvard Monday through Friday and Alabama on Saturday, and it just doesn't work. And uh, I'll never forget what the great Don Shula told me once down in Miami when I was down there to do a story on Terry Kirby. And I knew that he had that Shula's first job in football was here at UVA as an assistant coach during their 29-game losing streak, which was the longest in the country at the time. And he said, uh, he says, the hardest job I ever had that one year at Virginia because, you know, in terms of trying to recruit, recruit players, he said, we kept bringing them in and the professors kept flunking them out. And I don't know, it's to that uh, harsh a degree now, but getting in and staying in is is not easy and uh, again you know going back to the transfer portal some of those credits just aren't going to be accepted by uva it's not up to their standards terry kirby i love that reference tab high school's finest terry kirby his son's on this year's team i believe that's right and i believe if memory serves the guy played for the dolphins the Niners, the Raiders, and the Cleveland Browns. I think that's correct. In the National Football League. Terry Kirby from the 757. Um, Megan asked the follow-up question then, uh, and she's clearly watching the Jerry and Jerry shows here. She goes, on a previous program, uh, Hootie, I love that folks are calling you Hootie now, uh, referenced Wally Walker as the man who's going to lead the charge to improve the NIL. Any update on this? 
Well, that's, it's funny. I was talking to Wally the other day. He was getting ready to fly back to Seattle. Uh, I think he's he, – well, I know he has a place here now, but uh, I don't know if he's moving permanently here in December, but uh, I think uh, he'll – we're going to try to – he said he'd come on our show. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. And we wanted him in studio. He, he, could, he could have done it remotely from Seattle, but we'd rather have him here in the studio. So that may not be until December. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly. I haven't talked to him at length about what his responsibilities are going to be in terms of trying to help his alma mater. Um, I'm sure that he's going to take a close look at the NIL situation and learn about that in terms of where Virginia rates around programs in the country and, and other aspects of the athletic program and, and fundraising and all that ball of wax. But uh, I, I can't give you an update on that right now, but I'm sure that, that Wally, with his ac- expertise, because uh, he's been general manager of an NBA team, uh, he ran his own financial business successfully out in Seattle, he's well-connected, uh, he will... He will be he will be a difference maker with UVA, and it, it may take a little time, but he's that's the kind of guy that can help turn things around. Lauren Richardson asked this question: How does uh, Jerry characterize college football today? Is he a fan of the changes? Um, I will add to this: um, Mikey Lewis on Twitter, who we both follow, um, shared something this past week about television viewership in college football this year. And television viewership in college football this year is off the charts. Yes. The ratings are off the charts. People are watching college football at clips they have not in years past. A lot of folks are utilizing that, you know, key performance indicator, that KPI, as a metric that the transfer portal and the NIL is not necessarily bad for college football. I am of a different mindset because it just, and I'll throw it to you here, Seems to me the transfer porter and, and, and NIL has basically turned college football even into even more big business, especially at the top of the pyramid where the rich are getting richer and the parity is, is, is falling away in college football. One of the things that I loved about college football is on any given Saturday, anything could happen. Not so much the case anymore. Yeah, I mean, there, we're not seeing quite as many upsets this year as, as we have been at this point in the season uh, I'm all for athletes getting paid I have no problem with that but I think it has to be regulated I think it has to be a balanced playing field and it's not it's the wild wild west and uh, uh, one program I can't remember who it was exactly uh, this past week announced that all of the, I think all of their players were going to get new trucks brand Chevy new trucks, trucks. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean Virginia can't do that. Well, they could possibly do that, but they're not going to do that. Uh, and it's crazy. You know who that program was? It's the University of Utah. That's right, Utah. And it's uh, not, we're not even talking Bama or Michigan. We're not, we're not talking, you know, the Auburns. It's, it's Utah. Yeah, and, and Utah is pretty good. Utah's uh, great. I mean, they won yeah. the Pac-12 a couple, two or three times in a row, I think. But... Um, that's not what you think of when you think about right. Utah football. Right. Um, the transfer portal is it's, it's just kind of crazy. It's out of control, but I, they're trying to get a grip on it. I think that will 
calm down a little bit to where you can't have the multiple transfers. There was some kid that's played at four schools already <laughs> in his uh, college career, and he's still not done. But, um, I mean, football is football. It's still exciting. I watched some of the Washington-Oregon game this past weekend since Virginia didn't play. I uh, took full advantage and watched as much college football as I wanted, as I wanted, and and I'm I'm a huge college football fan. I watch every game I can see, uh, as opposed to the NFL, where I just watch my 49ers and that's about it. But um, it, it's still an exciting game, and and it, it's you know the, the fact that you mentioned that the rich get richer. They're bringing in. It's it's easier for them to get to, to to stay consistently at the top because they don't have to wait on a kid to develop, even though they're having great recruiting years. If they need a wide receiver, or if they need a safety, if they need a quarterback or a running back, they they just go out and get one from somebody else and uh, steal from the poor. And that's why you're going to see all those really good programs who do thrive on NIL and do thrive on the transfer portal, they should never be bad again. They, they should never have a down year again. Uh, and down years for them is winning 10 games sometimes. So um, That's why I'm worried about Anthony Calandria. Well, yeah, and there's reason to worry. Unless he is all on board with this and, and maybe even suggested it, I don't know if he did or not. We haven't had a chance to talk to him since this happened, but because um, it's a catch-22. If yeah. Musket does well the remainder of the season, and I, I'm a diehard orange and blue fan, I want Musket to do great. But if Musket does well for the rest of the season, then he comes into next year as the heir apparent, the front runner to start again. And then that potentially clouds Calandria returning. It's, we, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it is. And it, a, a lot of programs particularly the ones not at the top. Well, even the ones at the top, they, they deal with the same issues because if a guy knows he's good enough to start and make a difference, and Calandria clear, clearly showed that he is. And he believes it. And he believes it, and he has no lack of faith in right. himself. Right, right. <laughs> that's just, one of his skills. Yeah, and you almost have to be borderline cocky to be really good 100%. at any sport. But, you know... And he may not. He may be gung ho on saying, "Well, you know, I'll stay here as long as it takes, and the, the job will be mine. I'll have the starting job for three years at some point." You never know what's around the corner. You don't know who's in his high school coach's ear, who's in his family's ears, his friends' ears, uh, his ear. Uh, there's a lot of tampering going on in college football. And sometimes it doesn't come straight from a, a, an opposing coach. It may come from a friend of a friend or something. So uh, there will be temptation there. And if and if he sees that, hey, I got to wait yet another year, and this team doesn't do well in the second half of the season, and and they can't continue to lose recruits. He may say, well, you know, I, I want to I go somewhere where I can go to a bowl game, even if it's a shoddy bowl game. Uh, as Dan Patrick and his guys uh, say at uh, Crappensburg State, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's what kids want. They, they want to 
They want TV time. They want attention. They yeah. want highlights on social media. They want a chance to create a highlight reel, a sizzle reel. Yeah, they, they want to enjoy their college experience and, and go to bowl games and get all the swag and get all the exposure and get their names in the headlines and, and have a shot at the next level. Especially when you're seeing quarterbacks like you know Sanders at Colorado, Deion's son. I mean, how many times has SportsCenter shown the highlight clip of him showing off his Rolex, yeah. his fancy watch, or the fact that he's clocking 3 or $4 million a year in NIL money? Right. I mean, Sports Center is literally creating, ESPN's creating this environment where you're seeing in the highlights the, the fruits of NIL in the highlights. The watches, the cars, the money, how much they're earning. And I would imagine that's going to create, and I'll throw it back to you, then I'll get to a comment from, from JB, from John Blair and Stanton, who's given you some significant props here in a matter of moments. But it, the media is fostering this NIL ecosystem of the rich getting richer, which is creating a keeping up with the Joneses effect where those that don't get the perks and the fruits and the luxuries. And that's natural because these kids, and I use the word kids, are 18 to 22 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Caleb Williams. Uh, He's all over television now, the Southern Cows quarterback. Uh, He's got an NIL deal deal with – uh, one of the burger companies and has been in, in all kinds of commercials, just like uh, Alabama's quarterback Bryce Young was last year when he was with Dr. Pepper and I think some other people. But, uh, you know, the, the 12- and 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds that are coming up are seeing that stuff, and they're saying, I, I want to I be in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Uh I want to get paid millions of dollars, and I don't even have to go to the NFL to do that. So, uh, again, it doesn't happen for everybody, but, you know, kids dream about that stuff. They they used to dream about a touchdown drive in the final minute of a game. Now they're dreaming about other Instagram stuff followers, <laughs> Rolexes, and trucks. Yeah, exactly. He's dropping, he's dropping dimes today, guys. Um, we'll get to more questions. They're coming in fast. We very much appreciate the viewers and listeners offering questions and shaping the show. Put your questions in the social media feeds. We'll relay them live on air. This is a good one from John. He's giving you props. He says, Hootie, you are a reservoir of knowledge on the subject of recruiting UVA does not have a single kid ranked in the top 10 of Virginia high school players. How can a public school have such high academic standards that it cannot admit almost any kid from the public school system to play football? I note that UVA only has three commits from Virginia, and none of those is a private school kid. And one, excuse me, and one of those is a private school kid, he said. Anywhere you want to go on that one. John, great question, great comment. Yeah, it is a great question, John. You know, Virginia suffered through this for a long time, and that was one of the biggest obstacles for George Welsh in building this program. He couldn't even get the top guys in the state, excuse me, to even take a visit, to even come on campus. And and when they did, they didn't even show them the football stadium back in those days. They would take them over to U-Haul and show them that facility because it was – much better shape. They they didn't show them that they the coaches were in offices, trailers, uh, had their offices in trailers outside of you all. But um, it's it's been a problem. Um, 
I, I remember Danny Wilmer telling me if we couldn't get a kid into school, if admissions wouldn't let him in, we would send him over to Marshall. And that's one reason Marshall was so good for so long. Uh, they were getting UVA rejects, but guys who could play. And I mean, we're talking about some NFL players. Studs. Studs. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some of them could have been stars here had there been a place for them to to be educated. But Wilmer, the famous recruiting coordinator um, who had a pipeline with John Schumann and Fort Union Military Academy, he was smart. He sent them out of conference. Yes, that's, that's true. And, you know, I, I don't know why they don't hit up the private schools a little bit harder. Um, they've had some kids from private schools that, have been good in the program. Um, I mean, Chris Long went to St. Anne's Belfield Academy. Yeah. There's a perfect example. Exactly. So, you know, I, I would I would look at that aspect of it a little bit harder. Maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe they are and they're just not convincing anybody. But I thought when they got Cam Robinson out of Essex and Tappahannock, a little school by comparison, last year, a four-star that could have gone pretty much anywhere. I thought that might open some recruiting doors for them in the state, but they haven't been able to build on that. I will say this, though. a lot. Of, I don't, you follow everything when it comes to football. A lot of the private schools, have you noticed, they're playing seven-on-seven football? Oh, yes, a lot of them are. It's not private schools, be, and, and maybe it's because they don't have, I mean, obviously it's because they don't have the depth to full to fill a full team, right. or or maybe the concern is uh, parents with injuries when it comes to football. But a lot of private school football has shifted to a seven on seven mindset. Maybe that's impacted some private school recruiting because playing in a seven on seven game is very different than eleven on eleven football. Yeah, but you you can't hide talent though. I mean, if you're good, you might happen to be in that situation. But there's been a lot of really good players that have come out of the southwest. Uh, Texas in particular, where they play seven-man football, you just got to find them. And maybe they get overlooked. I don't know. I think Joe, I think uh, Sanker, Virginia's best uh, tackler right now, leads the team in tackling. I think he played seven-on-seven football here in town. But um, it, it's a – I mean, it's a real dilemma, uh, kind of a catch-22. You, you know, it it's hard to attract recruits if you're not winning. Uh, this new building might help them in some aspects, but there's nothing like winning and, and showing a kid that that you can thrive here and, and play in bowl games here. And that's what George eventually did. He got him into a bowl game in his third year and never really looked back. Uh had a winning season his second year here and started to get the attention of some of the better players around the state, got them to at least visit. Um, I, th- I think Virginia's doing okay in getting people to visit, but convincing them to come here and, and play has been an uphill battle. And, you know, when you get down in, in this level of football, it's, it's hard to rebuild because you're going to face a lot of negative recruiting from other schools that say, you know, they're, they're never going to win there, They'll look at their history, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that coach won't be here for your four or five years, et cetera. Uh, they point to the lack of attendance 
various things like that. So they've got they're up against the their backs are against the wall, and and, and, and uh, winning is the only way out. And how do you do that if you don't have the talent? It's it takes superior coaching, uh, some good luck, and developing guys into better players than than what they're projected to be. And and that that's the only way out of this mess right now. Um, James Watson, thank you for watching the program. Ray Cadell, thank you for watching the program. Roger Voisinet, welcome to the show. Bill McChesney and Dan Pettit, welcome to the program. Um, we'll, we'll talk basketball. I see folks talking basketball. And Watson, James Watson, who knows football inside and out, says some of the seven-on-seven seven kids are doing really, really well. Joe Sanker went to Covenant. Yeah, I thought that was right. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly what you said right there. James Watson Thank you kindly for that uh, comment. It was good to see you this morning as well. Um, basketball. First, we'll finish with the uh, the football talk. Um, I got to ask you who the best team in the ACC is. Looks like it's a two-team race here with UNC and Florida State. Um, what's your take on UNC, Florida State? And then before we get to that one, dot the I's and cross the T's on UNC, UVA, Saturday at 6.30 p.m. kickoff. Well, uh, North Carolina – Everybody was in a wait-and-see mode because we've seen them be ranked and we've seen them receive high praise in the past and they would have a meltdown at the end of the season. Usually it was defense-related. This year, I don't think that's going to happen. They seem solid on both sides of the football. Right now, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between North Carolina and Florida State. I, I thought Florida State had more playmakers than anybody else in the league, including Clemson, which was true. Now Carolina, with Walker on board, they they might be able to go toe-to-toe with Florida State. I don't think the defenses are a whole lot different. Carolina might even have an edge on defense. I'm not sure. But... Um, I, it looks like right now, unless something dramatic happens, I would think those two will be in Charlotte for the ACC championship game, and, and that is essentially a home game for Carolina, which could tilt things in in their favor. Uh, Clemson lost twice early. I don't think they're going to be able to make up that much ground, even if they went out. Duke is a question mark because of Riley Leonard, and they still have to play Florida State, and I think we were talking off air, I think at Louisville. So they're going to have a couple of tests, and they got to play Carolina. So uh, the schedule might not be in their favor at this point. Louisville uh, it's up and down. Uh, Miami is interesting because we've seen Miami teams start out like a ball of fire and then fizzle. Um, it'll be interesting to see what two losses in a row uh, may do to them, whether he'll be able to keep those guys inspired to play or not. So if it's the same old Miami, they may just go down the drain. We don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Mario Cristobal um, gets that team ready for the, the stretch run. Um, Cully Baggett, the developer, leaves this comment. They need a new stadium as well. That's what kicked off the rebuilding of basketball and its recruiting success. 18-year-old kids want to go play in a state-of-the-art stadium. That's just one of the pieces to this puzzle. 
Well, they can enhance Scott Stadium. I, I don't think they need a new stadium. Uh, I, I like old historic stadiums as long as you can keep up with the Joneses. And, and I think they're going to bring in a jumbo uh, jumbotron next year that will be like, I don't know, three or four times bigger than the one they got now. Saw one up at Maryland. Um, that's nice, but nothing is a substitute for winning. Uh, you can win and not even have a, of a jumbo, uh, any kind of a TV screen in your stadium, and people will get excited about it. But um, they can do some things to enhance Scott Stadium. I, I don't, I don't think they need to build a start over and build a new stadium. How do you enhance the experience? I, I, they're trying. They're, they're trying. trying a lot yeah. of stuff here. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a lot of it may go back to f- food and beverage stuff, uh, uh, the beer garden stuff. I, I don't, you know, I, I haven't, I don't, I go in the press box, right, so right. I don't really see what's going on in the rest of the stadium. Uh, restrooms, et cetera, I, I don't know what's going on with all that, but fans probably have a better idea of what they want than, than I would be able to speak for them. But um, it's nothing that they can't. Uh, add to Scott Stadium or, or add on to it and, and make it a, a better experience for the fans. I don't think you have to start all over again and build a brand new complex. Larry Redwing on Twitter giving you some props right now. Uh, we'll talk basketball, guys. We have a scrimmage to cover the blue and white scrimmage. Yes. Um, Beekman looked good. He did. A lot of upside on this team. Coach Bennett straight up said, we're going to improve as the season goes on. A lot of chatter on Leon Bond. Um, Jay Willie on the show last week saying, watch out for Dante Harris. We've already covered the fact that he's, according to Jay Willie, as good if not better on-ball defender than Kia Clark, and that speaks for itself. A lot of folks talked about Andrew Rohde looking to score anytime he touched the ball, although at times maybe forced the issue. A lot of folks saying McNeely looked like he put on a lot of muscle mm-hmm. and is primed for a big time, uh, a lot of upside this season. Jordan Minor excites me. I think a lot of this, you know, Jordan Minor is going to play a key role in this team as maybe the best interior player on the roster right now. What do you want to start with men's basketball, Coach? Well, let's start with Bigman. Uh, Jason Wilford told us last week when he was here in the studio that he has noticed a lot more confidence in Reese coming out of the combine and uh, some of the other workout sessions he had for NBA coaches and scouts. Um, that he's more of a vocal leader and and more comfortable handling the ball, perhaps um, maybe a little more aggressive offensively than he was in the past. And they're going to need all that from him because this is clearly his team. Uh, all the other players respect the heck out of him, and he's just damn good. <laughs> and uh, you know, a lot of how he goes is how Virginia's going to go. And I, I think, uh, I think we're going to see the best Reese Bigman we've ever seen this year. It was evident, I thought, in the game the other day. Uh, he had a nice scoring game. It wasn't anything lights out, but. It was just a scrimmage. You have to remember that. And it was only a 28-minute, 30-minute scrimmage. So uh, you take some of the numbers and 
they were in, if you add another 10 minutes or so to those numbers they're probably going to be more impressive but I thought he looked ready for the role of, of being the leader of, of this basketball team um, Leon Bond looked terrific we, we heard last year when he was redshirted we heard all kinds of stuff coming out of practice about how good this guy was and how he was going to be a force this year and he is. I mean, he, he led them with 13 points in the scrimmage. I mean, his upside is significant. A 6'5", 200-plus-pound redshirt freshman. Yes. I mean, he... Who plays bigger than his he size. He plays way bigger than his size. He can jump. He can run. He can finish at the rack. I mean, what... I'm not seeing a whole lot this kid can't do right now. And I'm not trying to put the, you know, the cart before the horse because this kid's young. Yeah. And doesn't have a ton of experience right here. This guy looks like the real deal. He does. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman, and he's uh, – it's going to be interesting watching him in, in the early season to see how much impact he has. I, I think he's going to make a tremendous impact. And uh, such a complimentary player to, to Ryan Dunn, who people before last season was over was already projecting him as a possible NBA draft choice after this year. They were already saying lottery pick last year, yeah. and he's significantly improved since last year. Again, another guy that I try not to – even Coach Will, you know, Jason Williford made this comment. You know, it's like this kid's a, a rising second year. Yeah. And, uh, don't be talk, putting the NBA in his head. <laughs> right. <laughs> Compare him to DeAndre Hunter, who's got an $80 million-plus contract and is an all-star in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, but he is that good, I think. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times the NBA drafts off potential. But um, he is potentially that that dramatically good player who has a complete game. And, you know, with with uh, Beekman and Bond and Dunn and then McNeely, uh, and McNeely is bigger. Uh, I think he spent a lot of the offseason – in the weight room. Building his physique. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could just tell with the eye test. Yeah. And, and uh, it, he easily won the uh, three-point shooting contest. He, I mean, I think I saw him knock down like 12 or 13 in a row at one point. Uh, he didn't do any, anything shooting-wise much in the scrimmage. Maybe his arms were tired. I don't know. But... Uh, he's going to be a force. I, I think he'll be much better than he was last year. And a guy that's going to be coming off those ball screens and popping three-pointers like crazy. And I think I think the other guy that's going to start is Minor that you mentioned. Um, What's your starting five? I, I think it would be uh, Bigman, McNeely, Bond, Dunn, and Minor. Uh, that's a great which, starting five. Which makes you wonder, you know, does Harris come off the bench? Does Rody come off the bench? Does Groves come off the bench? Uh, Buchanan come off the bench? They've got depth. They can uh, they can uh, play a lot of guys and, and probably not miss much of a beat. Uh, Miner, I, I liked. He, he seemed very uh, fluid in his movements, and I thought uh, he just impressed me. I know he didn't score a lot of points. I think he had eight points, but. Uh, I think he's going to be solid in in the middle down there for him, and they're going to need some more guys to come along and and help with that front court. 
610 Blake Buchanan has a lot of potential, even though he likes to play out on the edge a little bit. But uh, I, I think I think that'll be the starting five. I could be wrong. They could put Harris in there for somebody. Um, but, uh, you know, Rody and Groves and those guys, they're going to be hard to keep off the floor because they can play. Do you think this team – okay, this team goes legitimately, it seems like, eight, nine people deep. Oh, yeah. So eight, you've got nine, a, Maybe even ten. Maybe ten. You're saying, you're saying a Beekman, McNeely in the backcourt with Leon Bond, Jordan Minor, and Ryan Dunn in the frontcourt. Yeah, I think Dunn would probably play the three – uh, Bond at four because he played four in a couple of the quarters of the scrimmage. Right. Minor at five. Then you bring Dante off the bench. You can and you can. Some of those guys are kind of interchangeable, interchangeable in Tony's offense too. Especially Dunn and uh, and uh, Bond. Yes. Those guys very interchangeable. Then you bring Dante Harris off the bench at the point. You bring Rody off the bench at the two. You have Blake Buchanan, who's your, your stretch big. That's probably behind the arc to stretch the floor a little bit. Groves um, can probably play three or four. Yep. Uh, Jake Groves, the transfer from Oklahoma, can play three or four. I mean, that legitimately is nine players. Where are the minutes going to come from? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a good problem. That's a good problem to have. And Although I know, I know it's uh, Tony... Bennett will probably laugh. He, every year, he, when he has the, uh, a lot of depth, he'll say that makes his hair get a little grayer. But um, he, um, it, it is a luxury uh, to have that many players in your rotation. It, it's hard to play that many guys and, and give them the kind of playing time they want. And, and that you know that sometimes it leads to dissatisfaction because they don't get as much court time as they want and that leads back to the transfer portal again so um, it, it, it's it's on him to manage that and it's I'm sure he's he's uh, got a lot of plans uh, and and like like he normally does in November we'll see him experiment a lot with uh, lineups and and where the chemistry is and who can play at what spots and when to bring people in and and that sort of thing. But We should take a moment, and, and guys, Virginia basketball right now, not in the preseason top 25 in either poll. I think they're 31st if you go by the points. But I think this Virginia basketball team, when the season's over, will be in the top 25 in both polls. Yes. Coach Bennett has emphasized that this program will get better as the season goes on. Yeah, he made a point of saying that at the end of his scrimmage Saturday that um, you know we've got, we've got some things to clean up. Um, I think he was a little disappointed in the the shooting aspect, which I think still I think is going to be one of the strengths of this team. Oh no doubt. And uh, they were only four of twenty five um, with on the three pointers in in the scrimmage, but uh, that that was. Uh, an aberration. They're, oh, it's they're, the first one of the year. Yeah, I mean, and again, it was just a scrimmage. Yeah. And they were playing pretty good defense. They um, always do. <laughs> and you know what? Virginia's playing e- defense against itself. It's easier to guard uh, guys that you go against in practice every day because you know all their tendencies. So, But I think I think this is going to be a, a very hard team to beat. And they'll have some tests early. They, they play some pretty tough teams in the early goings. 
but uh, I, I think this team's going to be fine. And and like Tony said, I, th- I think we'll get better and better as the season goes along. I'd love uh, to spend the final minute here highlighting Virginia women's basketball. I'm, you know, I'm very excited for this Virginia women's basketball team. Um, two local players on the roster that are, uh, you know, going to make a significant impact. Um, they're just a, they're just a point guard product from from you know St. Anne's Belfield that has significant upside. Um, and I, I think Virginia women's basketball could win some ball games this year and maybe climb that ACC uh, that ACC standings ladder. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be checked off as a give me by anybody uh, starting this season. Kamora Johnson is the girl you're talking about from St. Anne's Belfield, five-star McDonald's All-American, 5'7 point guard. She scored 10 points in the scrimmage and looked very comfortable in doing so. Especially in the open floor. Yeah, I I think she's the real deal. Uh, Unfortunately, the other local girl, uh, Olivia McGee from Louisa, four-star, got hurt early in the game and left the arena on crutches. I, I saw a video on Twitter yesterday. I think they flew up to New York to watch uh, the WNBA playoffs uh, where there's a, a former Virginia player. And I, I think I saw her maybe not using the crutches the whole time. So hopefully that's not a very serious injury for Olivia. Uh, they've, they've already got a couple of girls, uh, Sam Brunel and Mir McLean, uh, two of their top scorers last year. Coming off injury. Coming off injury, and they didn't play. So three local gals. Yeah, three. And uh, uh, Cameron Taylor's back. Uh, she, she led the white team with 12 points. Uh, looked pretty good. She was uh, last year's leading scorer, I believe. And then a uh, girl that's been fun to watch is Katie Polly from out Missouri, where she broke all kinds of women's scoring records for high school. Uh, she's a sophomore, and she had 10 points, a couple three-pointers. She can shoot it. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a fun women's team to watch. Same. Absolutely. Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, guys, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. This show is easy when I'm sitting across the table in the set from uh, a man who's got 40-plus years of institutional memory covering Virginia athletics. Check out jerryratcliffe.com for anything UVA-related. This is a breeze today. It went by really fast, didn't it? (laughs) 11.34. It's a breeze when we get good questions from the viewers and listeners. You'll be watching UNC. You heading to Chapel Hill? Yeah, should be going down to Chapel Hill. I'll be at Tony Elliott's press conference today at 1 o'clock, so... uh, Check out the website later in the day for all the news. And uh, we'll be uh, updating stuff from Carolina, too. I hope to have uh, Carolina's best beat writer on a podcast later this week. So um, we'll be filling it up with football, basketball, men's and women's, uh, and the other sports as well. There you go. Jerry Ratcliffe of jerryratcliffe.com. Judah Wickhauer is the director. He's our hero. Sharply dressed. Yes, uh, sharp-dressed man. The man behind I think the they camera. wrote that song for him, didn't they? Oh, Judah Wickhauer. <laughs> they wrote the song for him. I love it. Um, this is the Jerry and Jerry Show, Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m., guys. It's truly a pleasure to sit across the table from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. The I Love Siebel Show is up in 55 minutes right here. Go Wahoos. Take care, everybody. Thanks,